Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I asked the Prime Minister, how good is Australia? Please explain. Oh, mate, this is just impossible. Too many people were confused. Uh, you bet you are. Uh, you bet I am. I have always believed in miracles. That's not a policy. Not now, not ever. I mean... <laughs> These comments are completely inappropriate. Oh, I'm sure she's right. But I ain't spending any time on it. How pathetic. You're a classic space invader. Disgusting, mud-sucking creatures. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Oh, fair shake of the sauce bottle, mate. Taste of democracy, very good. Welcome to this special edition of Democracy Sausage, indeed a second serve, and we're doing this today because the government has just released its long-awaited stimulus package in the wake of the uh, onsetting, you know, the worsening crisis uh, afflicting the world, the COVID-19 crisis and all of the economic implications that it has. Joining me to go through uh, the details of this and I guess uh, to talk about where it, uh, whether it's going to work, whether it's going to be enough, are a couple of very bright people. One of them is Professor Peter Whiteford, a social policy expert at the Crawford School of Public Policy. Welcome, Peter. Thank you. It's good to be here. And I have another Peter, Peter Martin AM, who was uh, on Democracy Sausage just this week and is always welcome back in this tiny studio. Peter Martin AM, business and economics editor at The Conversation, former economics editor of The Age and, of course, uh, well-known on uh, on broadcast media around the place as well. Welcome but to you, Peter. how are we going to do this, Mark? You'll say Peter and Peter. It's going to be difficult, but we're just going to – you have different voices, so we're just going to have to do it. I, I tell you what, I'll say Peter Martin when I'm talking to you. How about that? Okay. And I don't know how you're going to do it if you just jump in, but we'll just have to handle that. Right. So, look, Peter Martin, <laughs> to kick things off, what's what's your uh, sort of general response to this package? It's it, it does have, as we were discussing just a few days ago, uh, we do have some of the same atmospherics that we had around the GFC, a crisis afflicting the world, Australia facing circumstances that uh, uh, you know will have local effects, but which come from abroad as well, uh, and a government needing to essentially throw out uh, its agenda that it did have and move to a, a whole emergency setting. How, how do you see it? It's been like the dance of veils. They've uh, removed one veil at a time. Uh, I understand that as recently as a few days ago when we uh, recorded the podcast earlier in the week, they were not going to do direct handouts to people. Um, they've been mugged by reality and they're doing basically a Labor program. This is basically the, the Rudd Labor government's stimulus. Indeed, not much is different about it apart from the allocation of money to uh, uh, to different amounts. This one has somewhat less going to households, a $750 payment, um, but it follows Treasury advice. There was a, uh, a moment in the Prime Minister's press conference uh, at lunchtime when Scott Morrison was asked why he thought people would spend $750 
when they didn't spend uh, $1,250, the uh, uh, extra bonus uh, in in tax returns that Mm. uh, came as a result of the budget. And he said, experiences taught us that people spend cash payments. That experience was Labor's. And it's been made quite clear that people are not particularly willing to spend uh, money when they get it uh, later through the tax system. And the Treasury commissioned or used behavioural economics research on this in 2008 to say the best way, firstly, to get money out quickly is to uh, put it in people's bank accounts. And secondly, that they're more likely to spend it. Scott Morrison has become a reluctant convert. A reluctant A late Keynesian. convert. You know, in a matter of days, things are different to what I understood they were a, a few days ago. And we can perhaps see this in the delaying of the announcement. So the announcement was going to be on Tuesday after the Cabinet meeting, then Wednesday, now Thursday. Yes, it was interesting to look at uh, the body language and also the words that were spoken by the Prime Minister and the Treasurer. They, they seem to be quite proud of this package and quite confident that it's going to make some sort of difference. They have left open the prospect of doing more. They have uh, to. You know, he's been talking about it being scalable all the way through, to be fair. Um, but this is bigger, much, much bigger. Uh, it is approaching 1% of GDP. So it's much bigger than uh, was uh, being envisaged, as you were just saying, by them uh, not so very long ago. Uh, it is different, though, in a couple of ways from the way the approach that Labor took, and that is what the government is very keen to stress, isn't it? When you're looking at the politics, they're not building of it. school halls. Well, you couldn't, could you? Like, well, that's already done. That, that's what I was going to say. That they they're not using that kind of you know Keynesian pump priming idea that uh, that the school infrastructure program was. They are in, in fact pl- placing a very heavy emphasis on business, on getting money to businesses to try and keep businesses that employ people keeping those jobs open. For those people, so we're seeing probably... a lot of money channeled towards business in the form of uh, the instant asset write-off, which uh, goes to one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and and also this twenty-five thousand uh, dollar injection to uh, you know keep people employed. Yes, and that's probably appropriate because history shows that when unemployment starts to rise, if it goes up. Well, certainly if it goes up one percentage point, it just keeps going up. It's, it's really not something that you want and Labor managed to stop that then. Uh, you're right, it, it is different in, in one way. Labor's program ha- had sort of three phases to it, immediate, medium term and longer term. And the school hall program was so long term that some of them were being built, you know, well and truly after the economy had recovered. This is very focused on the immediate. There's, uh, I suppose you can call uh, the next year medium term, but um, it's really focused on the next few months. It's really focused on the next quarter, the quarter we're actually about to enter into because, of course, we know the story of that, Peter Whiteford. It is that this government is is facing a situation where it could be the first to preside over a recession in, you know, close to three decades, 28 years or something is the record for uh, uh, growth in in Australia. And And, in the world. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, they don't want to be the first government that has presided over this recession. We're pretty sure the quarter we're in is in negative growth. If the next one, the one that begins after March 31st, uh, is also uh, negative growth, then you know we have technically a recession. And it looks like 
the government is moving sort of hell on high water, really, to to try and pump prime growth uh, through that period. There's $11 billion of this uh, $18 billion package or $17.6 billion package that actually goes out the door. The next three months. Yeah, before uh, before June 30. So uh, they're, they're pretty yeah. uh, determined to try and get growth happening, aren't they? Yeah, one of the, the interesting things I think about our ability to do that is actually reflects the nature of our social security system. And that is that um, we have a highly centralised social security system. So, you know, um, New Zealand and Britain and Ireland to a rest extent are a bit like ours. But, you know, in America, um, a lot of the social welfare programs are effectively run by the states. Now they're partly funded by the federal government. But, but you know, the, you have to coordinate a lot of different people. Whereas in Australia, we have one government agency that able is able you know, by the middle of April to send checks out to um, a quarter of the Australian population, basically, a quarter of Australian households. So it's actually – so what, one of the things I think is interesting is that we have the capacity to act much more rapidly than, than most other countries on this particular particular side. But you as could you call said, it robo-checks, Peter. Uh, it's, the yet, it's the same infrastructure. It's the same – yeah, it is the same. From the man who invented the term robo-debt, I believe, Peter Martin. Well, <laughs> but it's the same infrastructure. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and in fact, and it course, can work quickly. And it can work quickly, which is a good thing. So yeah, no, I, I think the, the numbers I've seen is that um, the, the checks will all be in people's bank accounts for the, for the household side by the middle of April. Yeah, you know, that's so right. They're going to start flowing from March 31st, I yeah, believe, yeah, yeah, and yeah, they yeah, will yeah, all be there. Yeah. Now, they are going to anyone effectively who receives – um, some sort of welfare income from the government. So this includes people on Newstart. It includes, pe- uh, includes people who are uh, in, on NDIS payments, uh, family tax benefit payments. It's, it's a fairly wide group, but it is, I guess, to that extent, um, Peter Whiteford, it is targeted toward the middle and bottom? Yeah, I mean, well, certainly, um, you know, we have the most targeted social security system in the developed world, uh, you know, because we income test uh, virtually everything um, in one way or another. So, um, again, you know, so we're talking on the whole about the poorest 25% of households and, um, you know, the 40, you know, 80% of all our social security spending goes to the bottom half of Australian households. So, you know, so it's very targeted. Um, and that I think is why the government hopes it will be affected, effective in terms of, you know, spending the money because on the whole, there will be some exceptions. These are people who don't have a lot of spare cash. Um, uh, some of the age pensioners, um, are better off, obviously, because uh, it'll go to part rate age pensioners. Um, but, but, you know, particularly people on Newstart, on um, parenting payments, on carers' payments and disability support pension. These are people who, um, uh, you know, sort of, uh, uh, as I said, you know, sort of you stop getting um, new start if your other income's less than about $22,000 a year. So, you know, sort of like it's – so, so it's, it's, it's very targeted to the, to, the, to the bottom of the distribution. So, so you'd expect people to be spending this money. And there's been a lot of commentary in the lead-up to this about uh, targeting those payments toward that end and also uh, about the idea of increasing new start, which, you know, we can come to in a moment. But, you know, the logic is that uh, the, the less money you have, the, the greater – proportion of that you spend, you don't invest and save and so forth, and yeah, therefore yeah. it will get that money and it goes straight back into the economy. Yeah. I mean, as I said, um, age pensioners are a bit different because, um, you know, uh, even though they will be in the bottom, on the whole, in the bottom half of the 
overall income distribution, about 70% of people over the age of 65 receive an age or a service pension or something else. So it's a, so it's a broader group than, than it is for working age people. And um, you can have reasonably considerable assets. Um, so, so I expect Amongst age pensioners, it won't all be spent, but but certainly there are lots of poor age pensioners who will I would have thought spend it all. But but it's I think the inclusion of Newstart um, and other working age payments is the the really positive element of this. Although, as you said, it's temporary. That's the thing. Though. Yeah, it's temporary. It's temporary. Yeah, temporary, so. targeted, scalable. I mean, these are the sort of terms. But I'm I'm wondering whether we've missed an opportunity, or whether the government's missed an opportunity here to uh, to you know they say never waste a crisis. Well. There was an opportunity really here to do something about the, the, you know, the parlous state of New Start. Yet the government, going back to Peter Martin's point a minute ago about not wanting to, you know, look like Labor and sort of very strongly drawing this contrast with, with Labor's plan, the government didn't want to do anything that uh, created what they are terming a fiscal hangover. All of this, everything they're doing, even though there's a large amount of money being uh, you know, pushed out the door, all of it can be wound back when the economy and the budget are bouncing back too, theoretically. Uh, and that seems to be very strongly built into this. So they can sort of make that very clear distinction that we're not like Labor and we're not, you know, condemning the country to another 10 years of uh, structural deficits. Yeah, the real, if you buy the $64,000 question, as we all know, is, is it going to work? And I personally think that the, um, the impact of uh, coronavirus is so unclear at the moment that, you know, um, I would certainly doubt that, that, you know, it's just going to be temporary, that the next quarter is going to resolve it all. I mean, yeah, you know, we might hope, one hopes, you know, keep our fingers crossed that it does. But, um, but all the news has been on the downside so far, hasn't it? Well, the news from over countries yeah. is pretty spectacular to say the least. You know, the Italy this morning announced it was closing everything except supermarkets and pharmacies, right? You know, yeah. All, all its yeah. shopping things now. Yeah, except for food stores. I noticed that Denmark is closing schools. I yeah. noticed that the US has just announced a travel ban for the entire European continent, save for uh, save for Britain, of course, which is in the process of, of not being part of Europe, of course, and, uh, and which is not on continental Europe. But um, that's a pretty dramatic thing. And it includes, Peter Martin, interestingly, it includes – Goods, not just people, but goods, apparently. So it's an extraordinary um, uh, development and suggests – I mean, Trump says that uh, the virus isn't going to have a chance. <laughs> Those were his words. Can, uh, can, can I just say – because um, I was actually listening to the first five minutes of his talk and he did say goods, but I have read subsequently that goods are not included. Uh, there are three oh. things in the first five minutes that apparently are incorrect. So It's not like him to get things wrong, surely. No, so the goods are not included. Um well, that's actually probably an okay rate for the president. And that, three well, things in five minutes. Well, the other thing is, is that the um, insurance companies are going to give, not require co-payments for the test, but they are going to require co-payments for any uh, treatment. Which apparently he said that um, there wouldn't be co-payments for the treatment. And um, I think the group of people who are affected is, um, you know, sort of any American citizen overseas is also going to. Not be as affected. So, so, but, but, yeah, you know, he actually said 
these things right. <laughs> yeah, he did. And uh, let, let's face it, it's all over the place, much like his presidency. Let's oh, I it. think we can rely on what our Prime Minister said at lunchtime. I don't think he, he will change things uh, in the next little while. It does but, seem to be a somewhat more um, organised response. It's taken them a little while to get out. We'll come back in a moment. We'll just take a quick break. We'll come back in a moment and talk a bit more. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. More about this. Australia's bushfire season was devastating and unprecedented. More than 20% of the country's forests burned, destroying buildings, taking lives and decimating animal populations and biodiversity. But this season's fires haven't just changed the physical landscape, but also the political one. They've sparked a national conversation on fire management, the impact on vulnerable communities and how the country needs to tackle climate change. Join the team from Policy Forum Pod at a very special live event where we look at what comes next. With a panel of experts, we'll examine the long-term impacts of the bushfires on Australia's economy, health and biodiversity and look forward to what the country could and should be doing in the wake of the crisis. Australia Ablaze What Next takes place at the Australian National University on Tuesday the 24th of March. Register for this free event at policyforum.net forward slash events. All right, welcome back. You're listening to Democracy Sausage Second Serve. I'm Mark Kenny, of course. With me is Peter Whiteford, Professor at the Crawford School of Public Policy, an expert in social policy, and Peter Martin, who is a business and economy editor at the Conversation and uh, has held a range of other high-profile media roles and, in fact, is a former um, Treasury uh, official many years back. Well, I um, should point out my colleague Peter Whiteford is a former OECD official, uh, Organisation of uh, Economic Cooperation and Development, where he compared Australia's uh, welfare systems to the rest of the world. And this is a point I want to bring in, which is the, the, the Prime Minister was asked today about where health and um, the economy intersect, and that's keeping people away from work who are sick. Now, you wrote a piece for the uh, conversation uh, this week, Peter, um, pointing out that casual workers don't get sick leave, um, and uh, uh, the Attorney General, Christian Porter, said, well, that's fine. They're paid more to compensate for that. A comment <laughs> which didn't go down terribly well among uh, workers in restaurants and so on. Um, but we do have something called sickness allowance. And I think it, it's, it's, um, it's insubstantial uh, and it takes a while to process. But the Prime Minister did announce that the waiting period for that would go and also the waiting period for going on New Start. Now, do those address uh, your concerns, the concerns that you raised this week? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, one element of those waiting periods is unclear. So, th because there are two waiting periods for most payments. Um, 
for people of working age, there's a there's, there's one week that everybody has um, what's called the ordinary waiting period, uh, which is partly about the time it takes to process applications, etc. Um, but then there's what's called the liquid assets test waiting period, which has been around since the early 1990s. It was Labor government, Keating government, I think, that introduced it, which says that if you have more than $5,000 in readily available assets, um, you can, depending on how much it goes over it, um, you can wait up to 13 weeks before you get a payment. Um, so partly it's, it's about um, making sure people use their own resources before they um, – before they, mm. they call on the public resources. So it's not clear to me what the Prime Minister was saying about the liquid asset test waiting period. Um, indeed, they have legislation before the, the Parliament to increase that waiting period to 26 weeks. Um, but All of this much longer than the 14-day quarantine period. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, so, you know, if you... So if the liquid asset test waiting period is still around, um, some people will, um, you know, be getting, um, well, well, they will be looking for a job or still at their job, um, because they're not going to get any sickness allowance or any new start. Um, and that's the risk. The, the risk, because I think the, the interesting thing about this economic challenge is that there's an element of it that's completely different from, say, the 2000, uh, an eight global financial crisis and most other economic recessions is that, you know, while we obviously um, and the governments are obviously aiming to keep people employed and to keep businesses um, operating. In fact, one of the things we need to do as part of a, a pandemic is um, stop people going into work. Now, normally in recessions, you want to keep people at work, but in this one or with this challenge, we want to stop people working. Um, it's a very interesting uh, kind of difference, isn't it? Yeah, and there's also, I mean, it, and it may not just, it could be much more broader than that. So say, for example, we start closing down um, childcare centres and preschools as, uh, and schools as ways of, you know, you know, which is perfectly possible, right? And it has direct material implications for parents then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody has to stay at home and look after the children and you may, you know, uh, you may not want your elderly grandparents to look after young children who've been in a childcare centre, um, you, you know, yeah, and so right. on. So it's sort of – so. So it's not just casual workers, but it's also the self-employed. And then there's whatever happens more broadly. And it's the, that combination of factors and, you know, the, what's the prognosis for um, the, the, the virus, which I think we're, it's really unclear what's going to happen um, uh, in terms of, you know, whether this is going to be effective or not. Yeah, as I said, we all hope yeah. it will be, but... Um, um, but it's, it's really unclear about that. And, you know, so, so say, say for example, um, and it may even be that, um, you know, people may have already used up their sick leave this year, even if they've got sick leave, um, cause it's 10 days. You can get, uh, you can use your personal leave to look after a sick relative. Um, I'm not sure whether you can use your personal leave to look after a child who's you know, at home because they've closed down the childcare centre, who's not sick. Well, that's an interesting point because one of the things the Prime Minister's been saying, and he said it a number of times now in a number of ways, but he's been sort of saying companies will, you know, they spend a lot of money, you know, doing advertising and so forth, establishing their corporate personality in the marketplace. Their, their corporate image or personality will be defined through this crisis. Now, 
I can I can sort of you know feel a little bit of a tang in that comment because you know this government's had this problem with you know corporate do-gooders, uh, corporations getting involved in social and political issues, and perhaps there's a little bit of payback going on there in some of those comments. But I guess what the PM is also saying is employers are going to need to be a bit more flexible than perhaps just the bare minimum of rules would say uh, in respect of. Uh, you know, allowing their employees to work at home, allowing them to look after children, uh, erring on the side of caution if they do have some sort of illness, because it has pretty direct implications. I, I can for actually you see a... a quid pro quo here that uh, uh, not quite stated, but I'm giving you this investment allowance. I'm giving you this instant asset write-off. I'm supporting half of the salary or proportion of the salary of your apprentices. Yes, um, that's what I'm doing for you. Now that will give you some ability to be flexible. And, and that's and all right it, for larger businesses, but for smaller businesses, it may well, be quite crippling not to have uh, two or three people, key people there when your whole workforce is only eight people or, yeah. or whatever. So it is going to be, uh, there are going to be problems all over the place depending on how severe this gets and, and, it, and it may get more severe as we move into the winter as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, certainly, um, you know, when you look at ABS figures, something like 30% of permanent employees, i.e. people who have access to paid leave, um, regularly work from home. Um, and I imagine that could be boosted. Uh, but only 10% of casual workers regularly work from home. And uh, that's because an awful lot of you can't work. serve in a restaurant. You can't serve from, in a restaurant no. if you're um, from home, right? Um, so some sort of people can, you know, if, you, if you're sort of a web designer or you're mm. doing something digitally or or a range, there's a range of jobs, probably the better paid casual work that um, uh, where you can work from home. But there's a whole group of people who can't work from home, and. I think that um, it's not clear to me that what they've announced is really adequate for, for, for a lot of those people. What would you do, Peter? Well, um, I, I mean, in the piece we did in the conversation uh, written by with Bruce Bradbury from um, UNSW, uh, we suggested that they should look at a much larger payment, you know, something more like the minimum wage, because this is what we actually do with parental leave. What do you um, mean a much larger, a much larger sickness payment? Yeah, much temporary. You know, sort of you. Just, you, just to clarify, the sickness payment that the PM mentioned today, which is already there and which is being renamed to something else, but. It, it actually just operates – they're going to waive the waiting period so you don't have to wait for six weeks to get it, uh, but it will still be means-tested and it will be at the new start rate, which is, as we know, very, very low. Its current rate is about equivalent to 40% of the minimum wage, right? Um, now, the, uh, 40% uh, of the minimum wage. Now, you know, when you <laughs> add in – when you take account of the assistance that we and other places give with um, uh, rental costs, um, that's the lowest – replacement rate in the OECD. There's nowhere else that goes so low. Now, that's for, um, uh, you know, replacement rate is what proportion of your previous earnings do you get while you're unemployed? But the US doesn't have such a thing, right? So, Well, they, for short-term unemployed, in these sort of circumstances, you could get unemployment insurance, so, you know, which has got a higher replacement rate. Now, so if it goes on for a year or something like that, you'd be much better off in Australia. But in the first six months, you get a much higher replacement rate in the US. But the problem in all of this is if when it gets down to that sort of level, uh, you're talking about something that's an active disincentive for people to take time off work, exactly. even if they are sick. Yeah. So you're not really getting the benefit that you would need to get from a public policy, from an epidemiology point of view. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, 
yeah, well, there was the case of the person in Hobart um, the weekend before last who um, went into work at a hotel uh, because he was um, he didn't want to didn't want to miss his casual hours, right? Because there's two, th- there's more than well, there's many things involved. One of which is, you know, um, I need the money now. The second of which is um, casuals are much easier to dismiss than most other people. And so if you refuse a shift, are you going to get another one? Um, I mean, in terms of the remark from the Attorney General about, you know, casuals able to save up their money, in fact, I think the the sort of the consensus of recent Australian economists, people as diverse as, um, uh, well, on one hand, Mark Wooden and Inga Lass at the Melbourne Institute, um, people who work in IR, um, uh, Ian Campbell, um, Sarah Charlesworth at RMIT, is that the, the loading does not compensate adequately for the difference in wage rates. In fact, there was a... Um, a review of casual rates by the Fair Work Commission in 2017 that explicitly says in its summary of its case that that it doesn't adequately compensate and that one of the problems, is, you know, they explicitly say one of the problems is that people often are going to work when they're sick because of the because they're not really actually being fully compensated for. And these are jobs that very often have public, you know, strong public interface. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're talking about the people um, you know, serve who serve our coffee, yeah. we buy food from, um, who cut our hair, all sorts of things. Right. So it's, it, it's um, um, so so what, what we recommended in the article in the conversation was that uh, th- th- this be temporary, right? You, you wouldn't necessarily um, need to do this on a permanent basis, but because this is a really unusual situation we're in, is have something that basically paid you the minimum wage for the time um, you're away from, you have to be away from work, um, which is what we do with the paid parental leave. You know, we actually pay, um, even if you haven't been working full time at the minimum wage, we pay people the full-time minimum wage. And one of the things that came out of the evaluation of paid parental leave is that this actually increased take-up of time out of work more amongst the self-employed than any other group. Um, it's actually the self-employed as well as the casuals because doctors, um, they were uh, very upset at the uh, treatment the uh, Victorian health minister uh, meted out to a doctor saying uh, she was flabbergasted that the doctor had gone into work. And, and the doctors are pointing out that they are highly unlikely to ever take sick leave. I think it's... Uh, half a percent of, of days per year, whereas their staff in doctor's surgeries, secretaries and, uh, uh, you know, medical assistants and so on, um, take much more leave. They're actually being paid a wage, whereas doctors are small business people, GPs, they have overheads and uh, and a sense of duty and they're, they're highly likely... <laughs> To get sick. Yeah. Well, no, they're, they're probably, apart from novel viruses, they're, yes. they're probably fairly immune, but they're highly likely to go into work. Yeah. Mm. It's interesting, actually, that uh, this package uh, doesn't, you know, like there are some very generous elements in this temporary funding package, including this $25,000 back to small and medium-sized businesses. But that does not, as I understand it, extend to the self-employed who are not employing someone else as well because it's all about keeping people keeping jobs open. Um, so uh, if you're a sole trader, I guess uh, you're, um, you miss out. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I think they're potentially covered, and that is if uh, basically, you know, sort of they have to be getting no other work, right? So you could then um, go in under current rules and claim sickness allowance. Yeah, no, sorry, I was talking about for the $25,000. Oh, for the $25,000, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah but for the household bit, but, you know, like the house, 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 household thing is, you know, like um, if you spend a year on it, you get $15,000, right? Um, so, you know, it's, mm. it's not anywhere in the same ballpark for a, so, you know, in a month you get, you know, one and a half thousand or something. Yeah. Now, we're going to have to uh, wrap up here because we're talking for a long time. It is a, a really fascinating subject, this. I want to ask you just before we go, Peter Martin, about just your assessment about what we can derive, what we can conclude from the scale of this package. What is Treasury telling um, telling the government about the potential hit in this, in this uh, June quarter that we're looking it's at? It's telling us that the potential hit is ginormous. Now, GDP grows uh, these days around a half a percent per quarter. The Treasury thinks this will have an effect of one and a half percent. That's, uh, and th- their aim is to, to stop the economy going backwards. Now, That's a it, whole percentage it, point higher than what Stephen Kennedy, the Treasury Secretary, yeah, was saying yeah, it, it, well, that's right. a few days ago. Uh, well, no, he was saying that about the, the quarter. March quarter yeah, and right. it's the June quarter coming sure. up. So, so they're expecting something very, very bad in the June quarter. Now, the other thing to say about the size of this is it's almost certainly not enough, and that's okay. Um, Labor came back with a second stimulus package last time. Uh, you know, the famous mantra from the Treasury Secretary, uh, Ken Henry, was uh, go early, go hard, go households. They've done something. They've done it fairly early. It's of a reasonable size. They can and will come back for more. So, um, you know, I give them good marks. I'm, I'm incredibly happy that they've done something. And uh, I'm also glad, I think we mentioned this in, in the podcast earlier this week, that uh, a lot of the people who were around in the uh, coalition uh, when Tony Abbott took office have now gone. Um, you know, you, you, Joe Hockey's and... Uh, Andrew, Andrew Robb. Robbs and so on, who were so critical of what Labor did. And um, it, it, it's as if uh, they've uh, absorbed the uh, truism that uh, in a crisis we're all Keynesians. And uh, yes. in a crisis they are following standard advice, which works, has worked in the past, um, to get us out of it. And they're doing it fairly big and they're doing it pretty soon. So I'm pretty happy. Yes. All right. Well, I endorse those comments. I think it's pretty clear that they are following Treasury advice. It is pretty clear that that advice is fairly dire in terms of the implications for the economy. And as you said, Peter Whitefoot, at the beginning, we just really don't have a proper handle. We can see this is bad in terms of its economic impact. We don't know how bad and we don't know for how long. But uh, at this stage, the government's uh, certainly... Uh, putting a, a strong, uh, you know, policy instrument into play with this uh, this funding injection, uh, and we'll just see where it goes. Can I thank you both for for joining us here on this Democracy Sausage Second Serve? Peter Whiteford from the Crawford School of Public Policy and Peter Martin from the Conversation, and uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Bye for now.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.